0: My across oceans, deserts, seen things few men have seen. If you're still, will believe.
1: The end is in sight.
0: Hello, and welcome to Media Evil, a medieval pop culture podcast, where we talk about how movies, TV, and books depict the medieval world. What did they get right? What did they get wrong? And what do they tell us about how modern people see the medieval past? I'm Sarah Ipdecker, a medieval historian, and today I have with me Megan Tripp. Hi, Megan. Hey, how are you? Good. So today we are talking about the 2011 movie Season of the Witch. So I know that I did inflict this movie on you, but uh, why were you at least perhaps somewhat interested or acquiescent in the idea (laughs) of talking about this movie?
1: From what I could remember about it, it seemed like it was going to be lighter fair than perhaps other things so I thought oh that seems like a fun movie if not a good movie so sure I'll do that
0: (laughs) I will say at least it had the benefit that it moved along relatively quickly for a lot of it
1: yeah (laughs) and it's like what an hour and a half it's not particularly long yeah
0: so it has that great benefit to it (laughs) short raves Megan (laughs) And starring Nicolas Cage, which is a mixed blessing, <laughs> I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's funny because like I, I really should go back and watch more older Nick Cage movies. The only older Nick Cage movie I've ever seen is Moonlight, so I feel like I'm missing out on like Pete Cage because I keep seeing him in like Sorcerer's Apprentice and National Treasure and <laughs> things like that, you know.
0: Yeah, I think one of the movies I've seen him in where he's actually good in his own way is Face Off.
1: Okay, yeah, I've heard good things about that movie. Like, it's crazy, but it it owns its own crazy.
0: Yeah, like, it's really silly, but Nick Cage's performance works as a crazy performance, and John Travolta's kind of does too. And overall, it's not a bad movie, (laughs) which is not necessarily something that can be said for this. So he is playing the... Crusader Bayman von Bleibruck, with Ron Perlman also playing a crusader named Felsen. Claire Foy is the person who apparently we find out, and I'm pretty sure the last five minutes of this movie is named Anna. And I have not seen her in anything, although she does play Anne Boleyn in the new Wolf Hall miniseries. So that's something to look forward to. Yeah, I've
1: seen her as the Queen, but that would be obviously uh like in the 1940s so right well outside so. your purview yeah
0: yeah i i, I could watch it I, I haven't but it is beyond the <laughs> end of this particular podcast right <laughs> on your own time yeah and then when i looked up the credits i found out that apparently under the plague buboes christopher lee is playing cardinal d'Ambroise i missed that totally yeah i just literally only found that out when i googled it so good for him <laughs> he's in it for like five minutes so yeah So, a kind of very brief recap just to orient us before we get into some more general discussion in our section called Enumeratio. Two deserters from the Crusades are deputized to take an accused witch to a remote monastery that specializes in witches. They are accompanied by a priest, a knight, an altar boy who wants to be a knight, and a seller of false relics. The knight and the relic seller both die en route, while the witch eventually reveals that she indeed has supernatural powers. When they arrive, they find all of the monks dead of plague and soon realize that she's not a witch, but a woman possessed by a demon who has deliberately led them there to destroy the last copy of a magical book. They finally exorcise the demon, both ending the plague forever and saving the woman who is apparently named Anna, but everyone dies except for her and the altar boy who ride off into the sunset after burying Bayman Felsen, and uh, the priest de Belzac this movie starts out in 1235 in Villach, where you have a bunch of women who are just being accused of witchcraft and of consorting with the devil so they're asked to repeat and then confess their sins and one kind of quickly confesses and another begs for mercy and one kind of spits in the priest's face and it's all just a really fun time with men killing women basically (laughs) The woman who confesses also kind of indicates that she had assumed that by confessing, she was going to get not killed, and then the priest instead goes, ah, your soul, child, your soul will be spared, but your body must be consigned to God for absolution. This all also happens around a bunch of medieval castles, which are already in ruins, despite it only being 1235, which is kind of impressive. So the priest starts to read from the Book of Solomon. I guess just kind of making sure that the witches are not going to be able to rise from the dead, which is a thing in this movie. So he kind of goes through that. But of course, a witch does rise from the dead and drown him, to which at this point, honestly, my response was just kind of, eh, good. (laughs) Then at this point, the movie just kind of goes into all of a sudden it calls something the Age of the Crusades. Did you realize at this point that we are going to be jumping a full century into the future?
1: I mean, the first note I have is the Gulf of Edremit or yeah like that. and that it said 1332 so I don't know it, it never I never saw that note about like it's the age of the crusades it just said 1332 and I was like oh, okay
0: that's so odd because mine I don't think had a date on the first one but it said the age of the crusades although maybe I missed something it definitely said at some point the age of the crusades because I spent a while being mad about it but. <laughs> I
1: wonder if there's like a different version for Netflix or something yeah potentially maybe enough people were like why won't you give us a date when you give us a date for literally every other card that
0: calls out where we are <laughs> right but then but this one as I said the version I saw at least just had this kind of vague it's the age of the crusades right you know that historically specific time period the CGI in the crusade scenes is so bad <laughs> I mean, so you're, like, watching these battles, and there's these moments where you're like, this just looks like a mediocre video game. But I guess they spent all of their budget on Nick Cage, who I guess got a pretty decent paycheck. Probably.
1: And is blonde at this point, right?
0: Yeah, he is. It's it's weird. It's not a good look for him. It is not. <laughs> So we watch Christians yell things like, we'll be baptized in the blood of our unholy enemies. And Nick Cage and his buddy, Ron Perlman, who are not even trying to do any kind of European accent. Their accents are just aggressively American, are basically just wandering through the Crusades and apparently murdering Muslims more or less for fun and using it as the basis of who gets to buy drinks that night.
1: Yeah, I guess they're like, counting as they're going like okay I killed 30 men you killed 32 I guess I have to buy drinks tonight because I killed fewer people than you did.
0: Right which they have that kind of murder competition in battle in Lord of the Rings between Legolas and Gimli who are killing orcs and I feel like in Lord of the Rings it kind of works because the orcs are not really human I mean they're very deliberately kind of dehumanized and made into these kind of evil monsters but it really doesn't work with actual human Muslim people and makes these characters seem just extremely unpleasant to me at least. Yeah. We then have a kind of rapid fire tour through Bayman and Felton's crusading experiences uh, at the siege of Tripoli in 1334, the battles of Imbros, Arta, and Smyrna. Spoiler alert, with one exception, none of these battles took place anywhere near in time Mm -hmm. to where this movie says they do.
1: Yeah, that's not surprising.
0: This movie doesn't feel super
1: historical.
0: It's such a weird combination <laughs> at this point of being very intense about including very specific dates, but simultaneously having apparently picked the dates just completely out of nothing. Yeah, it
1: was almost like they wanted to set it in something like Middle Earth, and then at the last minute were like, what if we made it about real life? <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right, which was a very odd choice. I feel like this movie would have worked better if it just hadn't bothered to be quite so specific in terms of exactly when it was being set. And then they did, and then people like me noticed and start complaining about it. (laughs) They're on crusades and I guess becoming increasingly disillusioned about the crusading experience. So at some point, the leader of their crusading band says, you know, something like, let's go get the enemies of God, and then they have this conversation where one says, do you ever get the feeling God has too many enemies? And then the other response being his friends, not so easy either, which I think should be on the shortlist for the prize for things that a medieval Christian would have been least likely to have ever said in this kind of odd tendency that you have in medieval movies for people to just like not take religion seriously at all, despite yeah. the fact that they're on crusade and you would think they would.
1: I don't know these guys they seem like they're there for glory they do not care about God at all so I don't know how many glory seekers there would have been yeah
0: I mean there definitely would have been some people who would have gone on crusade in part just yeah for seeking glory or honestly kind of because they wanted to kill people or because they were bored. right <laughs> I have nothing else
1: going on
0: yeah right it just definitely really seems odd, especially because they bring up at some point explicitly that they decided to go on Crusade or at least that Felson did because they were concerned about remission for sins.
1: I took that more as a fun story to tell around a campfire, but had like <laughs> wasn't actually true. But it was just his way of being like, I sin a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a badass. <laughs>
0: That's fair. I was probably taking that statement too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> I was probably in generally taking this movie too seriously. (laughs) (laughs) So the disillusionment continues when Nick Cage accidentally murders an innocent civilian, which for some reason really bothers him at this point, despite the fact that he's been on crusade for 10 years. And it's not believable that this is the first time he's murdered an innocent civilian. But this time it's very upset about him. So they just take off.
1: Where are they supposed to be, this, like, walled
0: city thing? Like, where is that supposed to be? Smyrna, which is in what is now Turkey, I believe. Okay. Yeah, that's at least ostensibly what that is. And actually, so... it's the only real battle. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so I don't know if this is, like, grounded in any sort of truth or not, but I did notice that he only seemed to care about killing pale people.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's... A- good point i noticed that as well as well that it's super weird that the civilian that he accidentally murders is very much just looks like a white european lady yeah <laughs> so maybe that's the problem
1: <laughs> it could just be that he's racist and he's like oh i'm killing one of my own in some way or form or fashion or something yeah that's very I possible <laughs> Not surprisingly, this movie doesn't really like deal with like race or any larger question there.
0: <laughs> oh, no, it does not. I was going to say, I think the other problem could potentially be that they just decided they didn't want to bother hiring anyone for this movie who was not white, since I think the Muslim soldiers might actually be just CGI. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Very possible. <laughs> <laughs> like, it would not surprise me if there was not a single person of color that they hired for this movie.
1: Very, 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 very possible.
0: (laughs) So at this point, they take off and end up on the coast of Styria. They refer to this as being one month later, if I believe. It actually should be 1348, because at this point, they make clear that the plague has started. And I am unreasonably annoyed about this. (laughs) In terms of things that it would be so easy to get wrong, and I feel like 1348 is so easy to get right, and I feel like 1348 is one of the very few dates that some number of non-medievalists actually know.
1: Yeah, I don't know how much research they did. Uh, They probably, like, found one date and then just was like, okay, I need the story to move ahead to this part, so I guess it's, like, a year later? Sure, let's go with that.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Yeah, the research was clearly extremely minimal, as in, I think the research that I did for this podcast episode might have been more extensive than the research <laughs> done for this movie. So they're hanging around, they're seeing a lot of dead people, Ron Perlman starts explaining about he ha- how he has nothing to eat. This is also the moment where I personally, as a Jewish person, am watching this scene and I'm like, I know he's a crusader and he's wearing like a giant cross on his chest and I still just can't believe in Ron Perlman not being Jewish. <laughs> Which is also adding to him is like he he and Nick Cage are just not coming off as convincing Crusader Knights to me. Not to mention, how old are these guys? <laughs> I don't know. I actually am not quite clear, like probably in their fifties. Yeah, I would say like
1: late fifties. I <laughs> and they're like on the front line of like infantry. I'm I don't I don't buy it. <laughs>
0: Right, it seems a little odd that they, it seems like they're roles that probably should have been played by slightly younger men, although I guess they're also supposed to be disillusioned, so I don't know.
1: I mean, I feel like you could be disillusioned in your 30s or 40s, you don't have to be in your 50s. That's true. I don't know, we could talk about this more when we talk about alternate ways this movie could have gone, but I was (laughs) a little confused that they were like just out of the army and that they had abandoned their post or whatever. I was like, it could just be many years later. You don't need
0: this. (laughs) Right. Especially because the whole crusader deserting thing that uh, happens subsequently is a little silly anyway. So yeah. So uh, they're now in medieval Europe. So everything is extremely gray and everybody looks miserable. Uh, We have some flagellants. So people hitting themselves, whipping themselves in the background, Which is fine as a thing that was happening around the time of the plague, but also I'm very confused as to why all of those men look like they are 80. Like it's a very elderly group of people injuring themselves as opposed to you would think maybe some, I don't know, younger, stronger people who are better able to hold the whip for themselves. So there is some random child who sees the crest on Bayman's sword and then identifies him and uh, points them out to, I guess, the guards of the cardinal who has them arrested. The cardinal, who is suffering from the plague and apparently is Christopher Lee, (laughs) brings them before him. Uh, He is being attended by these doctors who have these bird-like plague masks, which I have thoughts about that will come up later. And uh, the Cardinal and uh, this priest de Belzac start explaining that the plague is supposedly a curse from hell that has been brought upon them by an evil witch, as you do. So the Cardinal then offers Bayman and Felsen, I don't know, absolution, freedom from whatever their penalty is, something uh, for their desertion. If they agree to take the witch to the Abbey of Severac, where they have the last copy of this thing called the Book of Solomon, which is what they were reading from earlier and can therefore destroy the witch's powers and end the plague forever. My immediate reaction to this is just, if this movie actually ends with, we're gonna, I don't know, kill some woman and then end the plague, I'm gonna be really fucking mad. (laughs) So they end up agreeing to do this after spending some time reflecting upon whether the penalty for desertion involves hanging, burning, or both. Spoiler alert, it's neither. They uh, agree to take her to Severac as long as she gets a fair trial. Then we get our nice kind of traveling party together. So it's uh, our two crusaders, de Belzac, the priest, and Eckhart, who is a knight. They also ask to get a guide who actually knows what the hell he's doing because none of them do because none of them have ever left whatever godforsaken village they're supposed to be in. So they then find this guy who's currently in the stocks who is, I guess, has been arrested for selling false relics, although he claims to have happy customers from here to Prague, and confirms that he has previously made the trip to Severac because he previously sold the monks there, the tale of an ass ridden in the flight to Egypt. Which I'm going to be honest, I did laugh at that joke. <laughs> in that it was, I don't know, it's like, okay, that's a solid relic joke. You know, there aren't enough good relic jokes. <laughs> I've often said that <laughs> relic jokes. There's just not enough of them. <laughs> so, en route, they end up getting an additional companion, this kid named Kai, who is an altar boy in service to the cardinal, but I guess his dad was a knight, and now he wants to be a knight, and he thinks that if he goes with them, he can become a knight. Also, yeah. he just looks like he's 12. And I can never get over the fact that he looks like he's twelve, and they really should have sent this actual child home immediately.
1: <laughs> yeah, he he can't quite grow out a mustache, so he has just a little bit of fuzz. And um, what's Ron Perlman's name? Is it like
0: I want to call Felton? Him Fezzik, but that's not right. <laughs> I think
1: it's Felton. <laughs> Felton insults him, and uh, they end up having a, a little bit of a sword fight. I guess for this kid to have his honor and he holds his own a bit and they're like okay well you're not terrible with a sword i guess you can come if you want to
0: right <laughs> it's like no send that kid home <laughs> so uh, they do keep the kid and uh, start en route and Bayman starts chatting a bunch with the suspected witch who no one has given her a name have they
1: no in all my notes she's just girl
0: <laughs> witch <laughs> Nameless lady, as you do, starts to chat with Bayman. Talks about how nice he is. Expresses all of her fears about whether she'll actually receive a fair trial, based on seeing the trials of witches in the past, which are less than fair. And Eckhart also begins to express his concerns about the whole thing, in part because the witch apparently reminds him of his daughter Mila, who died, I think, in the plague. I think so. Yeah. So the witch ends up attempting to escape. There's like this key that's shaped like a cross that she pulls off of either the priest or Eckhart. I kind of at this was like only half paying attention for just a bit and then I was like, "Oh, something's actually happening."
1: <laughs> yeah, she she grabs the cloak of Eckhart, smashes his head into the bars of the wagon she's in, and then stabs the priest so he can't move with his cross off of his hand and she also grabbed the key and fled
0: yeah so she takes off they're all chasing her they come across a mass grave there's also a cool dog at the mass grave which you know i was excited to see the cool dog (laughs) (laughs) and eckhart starts to hear and see dead people specifically his dead daughter mila so he's running around trying to find his dead kid Carmen is very concerned about this as well, apparently. as you can tell from that plaintive meow. And Kai, the 12 year old, accidentally just kind of runs up at Eckhart and stabs him. So apparently this whole, this kid knows what he's doing with a sword maybe wasn't the best idea since the first thing he actually does with the sword is stab their friend. Yeah, it's weird because
1: he like comes around the corner. Eckhart is like startled, but like continues running forward because he sees his daughter. And then everyone's telling Kai the rest of the time, it's not your fault. It's because of, you know, the witch and supernatural stuff. And Kai's like, no, I think I'm to blame. And I'm like, you're somewhat to blame. You you could have dropped the sword. You didn't have to, like, hold on to it and make sure that he managed to shish about himself onto your sword. <laughs> that seems like it took some effort on your part.
0: Right. It seemed very odd to me that... Or odd like odd, in the sense that he clearly was at fault, I guess is really what it meant. It seemed very much like the kid, if he'd actually been somebody who was a bit more battle-hardened and kind of knew what he was doing, wouldn't have been running around corners with the sword out like that. Yeah. And would have been a little bit slower, a little bit more cautious. And so essentially the reason Eckhart got killed is because... He, you know, doesn't really know what he's doing, which obviously happens, but it is definitely his fault. (laughs) The witch is recaptured. She's got a solid evil smirk at this point. And I definitely was having a moment right about here where the movie was sort of working for me and that I was like, okay, initially I just assumed she maybe wasn't a witch, but maybe she is a witch. Is she actually evil? Is she, you know, maybe a witch but not evil? or is she just some lady who got tortured? I'm curious. Maybe we'll find out. The movie relatively soon however loses the goodwill that it managed to get during that like 5 minutes for me at least. I don't know to what extent did you feel like you were really engaged?
1: Um <laughs> I I thought the casting of such so much older leads without much explanation was weird. Yeah. But when when we're like, okay, we're going on a quest, and this girl may or may not be a witch. I was like, okay, cool. I like quests. I can yeah. get on board with that. <laughs> yeah. And weird, spooky stuff happens, and I kind of liked the end, but we haven't gotten there yet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No. So there are definitely things about this movie at the moment that are kind of working. So they then have a traumatic bridge crossing experience. The it's priest... a total Shrek bridge. A total what? Shrek Bridge. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so the priest gets some like real intense rope burn with his hands are oh, so completely gross. bloody and gross. Yeah, which I also definitely was watching this and I'm like that's ridiculous. Like you don't get rope burned like that. But then the next day I was ended up walking three dogs at the same time with kind of hefty leashes and I was like oh, okay I can like almost do it. <laughs> So there, there's a lot of them trying to get across the bridge. Uh, the witch keeps saying that they should let her go so that then the chariot will be later because they'll just have to carry her separately. This seems right. like an obvious... I mean, there, she's probably right, but also it seems like an obvious ploy to escape. Oh, yes. <laughs> Can't blame a girl for trying, though. And I think everyone just basically ignores her. Yeah, they're like, yeah, we're not... Yeah, no, we're 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 definitely not doing that. Come on, we're not done, especially because she's tried to escape like ten minutes ago. It's not like she's got a lot of goodwill. No, and then someone died, so it's like, oh no. (laughs) Our dumb twelve-year-old murderer nearly falls off the bridge, but the witch saves him with one hand, pulls him the entire his entire little childlike body up from (laughs) before he falls off, which is definitely witch-like in terms of powers at this point. so
1: It's definitely the first
0: time you're like,
1: oh there's something wrong with this woman. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know what it is, but there's something going on.
0: Yeah, no, the, the spooky stuff happening, she might be responsible for some of it. Yeah. So they eventually make it across the bridge. The bridge is completely destroyed. Nobody seems worried about the fact that this bridge, which is apparently the only way to get between that Thing that looked like it was at least a substantial town, and this monastery, which purports to be of some importance, and now they've just destroyed the only way of getting in between them. But nobody seems to have this problem.
1: It's weird because, like at the beginning, there's so much thinking about getting there quickly that the priest is like, "We have to go as the crow flies," and then Nick Cage's character is like. But that's, like, fording a river and going through a spooky forest where people die. Like, could we take another route? And then they grab Hagemar, the relic seller, and you're like, okay, we're going to get, like, an alternate route. And then they, like, they don't have to ford a river. They can go over this bridge, but it's in disrepair. And then they end up in the same spooky forest. And I'm like, Hagamar, hey, the whole idea of you being on this trip is you providing us a different way to go. <laughs>
0: right so either there was zero other route or i don't know but it seemed kind of ridiculous that they definitely did spend all this time creating this kind of con or having this conversation about finding a better route and then they did not find it
1: yeah because then they were like oh no we're in the spooky forest and i'm like well where did you think you were going to end up like
0: <laughs> right oh yeah the spooky forest that's obviously the thing that was on the other side of that bridge Right. You know, the bridge that you tried to cross despite the fact that it was literally falling to pieces.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you probably should have, like, gone downstream where it wasn't quite so high and then forwarded it it like a normal person rather than trying to cross this ridiculous bridge with this heavy wagon and multiple horses.
0: (laughs) Right. And at least some of them are planning on going back.
1: I think all of them are planning on going back, aren't they?
0: I mean, at least the least, the priest and the kid are. I don't know what uh, Bayman and Felson's plan is. I suppose they don't technically have to go back. They could go anywhere they want. Right. Like, they don't have any roots right. there in particular, as far as I know. But at least a couple of them are actively planning on returning there.
1: And then if the witch is found innocent, which she won't be, but, like, <laughs> if she were, she would go back, right? Right, yeah,
0: because presumably that's where she's from. Yeah. And you don't necessarily want to be a woman who's previously been accused of a witch and then just try to find a new place to live completely alone.
1: Although maybe you don't want to go back home where everyone secretly still thinks you're a witch. I don't know. There's also no true. good. There's no good way to get out of there.
0: No, not really. I am, however, kind of here for her very snarky comment. It would be a shame if he bled to death after that. She sees the priest super gross rope burn. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I kind of like her. I wish she had even slightly more to do, but I kind of like her. So they realize that they are now, of course, in the scary evil forest. You know, the one that they were supposed to be trying to avoid, but I guess didn't. And uh, Bayman then finally realizes that uh, the woman really is a witch because she also, I don't know, like, sets something on fire for a second. And he goes, huh? but so that's exciting. What does she do with fire? I totally miss that. Oh, I think she just, like, starts a fire for a split second in front of him.
1: Oh, I must have, like, looked down. <laughs> <laughs> I totally miss that.
0: Yeah, it's like a split second. Well, it's okay. I actually then missed and did not realize quite what had happened until later. So I noticed. So, the, okay, the, I, I saw the next part, which is that Hagamara starts saying maybe it would be easier if we just murder her. Yeah. And uh, then she calls some wolves. Yeah. Apparently, the wolves kill him. I 100% just missed the wolves killing him.
1: Oh, yeah. They circle them, they fight off some of the wolves, more wolves come. He like falls off his horse or something. Is left behind. They try to get to him. By the time they get to him, eaten by wolves.
0: Eh, happens. <laughs> but man, the uh, the false relic supply is going to go real downhill. So that's sad. <laughs> so they finally end up arriving at this monastery. But all of the monks are dead of the plague. Don't, don't go past my favorite line, though. Oh, yes. Yeah, sorry. That at some point in the meantime, uh, Bayman starts uh, yelling. I guess, like, he's arguing with DeBelzac, and then Bayman just goes, No man has spilled more blood in God's name than I. Like, <laughs> all right, dude, you don't need to brag.
1: <laughs> There's that. And then, like, before they get to the monastery, Falcon and Bayman, mm-hmm. I think are their names, they're talking about like what they're going to be up to afterwards. And it's like, no one will believe the things we've seen and experienced. (laughs) And -hmm. Falcon says, ah, but we will know the truth, my friend. We will know the truth. (laughs) (laughs) Which is like a hokey line, even if you were able to deliver it well. But Ron Perlman does not deliver it well.
0: (laughs) The dialogue in a lot of these conversations between these men wandering around is very hokey. And... A lot of this scene, I don't know, a lot of these scenes, especially it also seems like Ron Perlman in particular is really kind of half-assing his way through. I'm not sure I'd call Nick Cage deeply committed to his role either, to be honest. Yeah.
1: There's moments where Nick Cage is doing like, I'm a very important rich man voice, which is different than his regular voice. And then other times where he's just like, I'm Nick Cage.
0: But even when it's he's like, doing that voice, it still is not a European accent of no, any kind. No, it they is still not. always sound just aggressively American.
1: <laughs> but one is very important,
0: right? It's just yeah. Sometimes he sounds like an American industrialist from the nineteen twenties, and sometimes exactly. he sounds like Nick Cage. <laughs> yes.
1: And you know, Perlman just sounds like Perlman.
0: Yeah, and per- Perlman is just like, dude, come on. We just we all know that you're like a New York <laughs> Jew It's fine
1: it's fine it's good
0: it's whatever i don't know what you're doing in medieval germany but like we all we all just know your own work too and that's just totally fine just keep going (laughs) (laughs) they finally arrive at the monastery all of the monks are dead of the plague many of them are kind of they seem to have all just died instantaneously of the plague in this very odd way none of them seem to have been like in bed or anything it's just like oh I'm in you know a chapel and I was praying and then I just killed over dead of the plague and I was in the middle of copying a book and then I just killed over dead of the plague which is not really how the plague yeah. works <laughs> you would have been ill for some amount of time prior to that and lying in bed like the cardinal was it's not like a sudden death
1: yeah they got like a supernatural strain of the plague or something right well we're, we're gonna get there
0: yeah <laughs> So everybody's dead. De Belzac starts, I don't know, yelling some things in in Latin at some point. And then they actually find the book that the monks are in the process of copying, which is the Clavis Solomonis Regis, the book of the rituals, prayers, and incantations used by the holy men throughout the ages to defend against evil. And I will say, bless their hearts, at the bare minimum, the title is a correct translation of a uh, key of king solomon and uh so at least like you know they use some correct latin good job guys there you go they also i believe do have the correct latin for the nicene creed which is one of the things de belzac is kind of yelling at some point Of the other Mm -hmm. Latin, I could not make out to them speaking quite well enough to have transcribed it myself without basically spending a lot of time sitting in front of my TV watching this movie and going back and forth and pausing. (laughs) So I did not do that. They did, I will say at least, use some number of words that I was able to catch that were Latin that made sense in context. but I cannot confirm because I did not hear well enough that they actually were saying any sentences that would be entirely coherent in Latin. Right. We'll see. I'm not sure I would expect that they did, but maybe they did. They start with the trial. The trial is apparently, seems to mostly just be de Belzac kind of yelling at her in Latin from this book.
1: Yeah. I think, I mean, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter whether or not she's guilty. Go ahead and try to de-witchify her with your book. And then if she's not a witch, she's not harmed. And if she is a witch, then I guess something bad happens to her. <laughs> and she's not a witch anymore or something.
0: <laughs> right. It also seemed odd because in the scene at the beginning, they had to actually kill the witches first for the rituals to take the effect of, I guess, making sure they stayed dead. But they didn't do that. They just start yelling incantations at her and let him.
1: Yeah. I mean, maybe if the monks in the abbey were alive, they'd be like, no, 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 you've got to kill them first and then you do the incantation. Because it's not like the guy knows all the ins and outs. He's never seen this book before. Maybe he like skipped a page or something. <laughs> <laughs> That's true.
0: <laughs>
1: page one, <laughs> kill.
0: <laughs> also, it's not impossible that maybe his comprehension of the Latin is kind of mediocre. So, like, he can read it, yeah. but does he really know what he's saying?
1: yeah yeah
0: they start uh basically you know yelling latin at her as you do (laughs) she starts yelling back about how the church has been burning hanging and crucifying everyone who has stood in their way for centuries i was deeply surprised to hear how much time the church has been spending crucifying people personally i mean because like that's because I mean, obviously, like, that's how Jesus died. So they kind of make a point of not crucifying people, like, very deliberately. That is not a punishment that Christians use. Yeah. So it seemed very odd that they felt the need to include that statement.
1: Yeah, that was like a Roman thing.
0: Right. Yeah. And that's that's why that's and how that it fell yeah. out of favor <laughs>
1: with the church coming into power. So, yeah.
0: Right, and especially because it has now symbolic significance in terms of the crucifixion of Jesus. They actively wouldn't right. want people to then associate that with just common criminals, which is what it used to be right. associated with.
1: Because now it's, like, associated with martyrdom and stuff.
0: Right, yeah. So even though, obviously, there are saints and whatnot that died in various other ways, the uh, crucifixion definitely has a kind of special place in everybody's hearts, and so it's not being used as just a regular punishment anymore. Right. So it seems like just an odd thing that she needs to include, but... That's fine. She can. And also apparently she's like both an evil witch slash maybe something else, but also is deeply concerned with the fate of the innocent and how the church is harming the innocent.
1: I thought she was just trying to get Nick Cage to be like, oh, she's right. Let's not hurt her.
0: That's true, I guess. Because then I guess she starts talking to Nick Cage about his past fun crusade experiences Mm -hmm. and kind of trying to manipulate him into feeling guilty himself about his past sins. Yeah. And all the people he, whose blood he spilled in God's name, et cetera. Right, right. At this point, after she starts going through this whole thing, De Belzac realizes that this is no witch, and then turns in the book to the exorcismus section, and turns out she's, I guess, possessed by a demon. Sure enough, as he starts reading new stuff to yell at her and Ludden, she sets the wagon on fire and gets kind of dark and spiky and then looks kind of zombie ish for a bit.
1: This is when I started getting really interested in this movie. (laughs) (laughs) When I was like, ah shit, it's a demon, (laughs) then I was excited.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I was like, all right, I can kind of see this as a way of, you know, having some legit supernatural material. But also, you know, not necessarily going with the the woman was an evil witch the whole time. I told you so. We should be killing women, <laughs> which is an issue in some other movies I've seen.
1: But I mean, if they killed her, the demon would have just jumped to a different body, I
0: guess. Right? So That's they what demons
1: do. Yeah.
0: So they can't just kill her. They actually had to, um, you know, get they actually have to exercise the demon and a bunch and actually kill or somehow get rid of the demon right they're kind of starting to try and fight her uh she then i guess or he i guess for the demon the it i I don't know what pronoun we should be using for the demons based on the voice (laughs) i'd go with it being a male-coded demon turns into a bird and flies off or a bird-like thing at least i mean it has wings yeah a bird-ish thing at which point somebody goes with the we're gonna need some more holy water (laughs) (laughs)
1: which is the we're gonna need a bigger boat of this movie (laughs) exactly (laughs) and that made me wish that this whole movie was at this level of
0: bonkers (laughs) right I feel like when the movie had just like really ridiculous dialogue it was definitely when it was at its best (laughs) like
1: there's so many moments of like being very dour and being being very like sad about the crusades and i was like man if this was just a silly movie about let's go town to town killing demons and uh we're gonna need some more holy water i would <laughs> be so much more engaged
0: <laughs> right if this is basically just a crazy kind of silly ver- medieval version of the exorcist or something right yeah i'd be down yeah that would have been way more fun <laughs> so now we're trying to defeat the demon and save the girl. There's actually this whole dialogue where I think Felson goes, are we trying to defeat the demon or save the girl? And Bayman just looks and goes, both, which is also kind of very cheesy and silly. <laughs> They're going off, uh, Bayman, or I can't remember if it's Bayman or Felson. somebody knights the rando kid who uh, then says- Bayman does. Bayman does yes he then goes I know in my heart I've not earned this to which I'm like yeah no you totally haven't and then Felson goes <laughs> you will. You will.
1: <laughs> yeah I kind of was like oh he's gonna say that he's gonna oh yep he just did.
0: <laughs> yep <laughs> they also realize at this point that the demon was actually trying the whole time to lead them to Severac and to in fact killed Eckhart because he wanted to free her as well as Hagamar because he wanted to kill her because the whole time the demon is just real fucking mad about this Solomon book and is especially upset that in the monastery they're in the process of copying it and uh, therefore sending its wisdom throughout the world. And uh, that the demon then basically engineers this whole thing and makes everyone think the girl is a witch so that they'll bring her there. And then it can destroy the book and plunge the world into endless darkness.
1: This seems overly complicated. If I were a demon, I'd just go directly to the monastery and then indwell one of the monks. Now, I don't know, is there some sort of rule where you can't indwell monks because they're too holy or something?
0: No, I mean, so I guess they could argue that maybe, I don't know, they wouldn't be tempted. But technically, everybody could, anybody could be possessed.
1: Yeah, so I'm like, why would you pick a random woman from a random town Make her look like a witch and hope that she gets taken to the place where Solomon's book is so that they do witch proceedings so that you can get a hold of the book. Just like, go there. What? You're a demon. You can manifest anywhere. Why do you
0: need this ridiculous plan? Bare minimum, you think it was actually that he could at least possess somebody who's within much easier walking distance of this monastery. Right. There's got to be a closer town than the one they came from. Right. It took them like a week to get there. Right. Isn't there at least somebody who lives in a town that's like a day away? Who knows? Or like, I don't know, somebody who works at a monastery at least, if he like doesn't want to deal with a monk. I don't know.
1: Yeah. <laughs> and everyone just like jumps to, of course, I understand it so clearly now. Obviously. And I'm like, it's what do you mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like the girl was possessed by a demon. You misdiagnosed her, and now you feel dumb about it. And you're like, well, that must have been that tricky demon's plot all along. And it's like, not necessarily, like. <laughs> <laughs> Just because you didn't know she was possessed because you don't know what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Anyways.
0: Yeah. Which is, of course, ironic because, as I'll talk about later, demonic possession was totally what people would have jumped to more than witchcraft in the 14th century. Right. (laughs) So, just saying. Now we get to have a battle in the monastery, which I'm a little sad about because now they're going to be destroying this perfectly nice Romanesque monastery and it's, I'm sure, very lovely library that medievalists would have loved to have in the future. But now we're going to burn up and destroy everything. It's the demon's fault. It is the demon's fault. So the demon then at this point resurrects the corpses of the plague infested monks. Yeah, sort (laughs) of. They're, like, reanimated. Yeah, so they're they're just reanimated corpses. Yeah, so, yeah, reanimates as opposed to resurrect. So the reanimated corpses are then crawling over the walls and ceilings. And my God, the fucking CGI here. Honestly,
1: the whole reason that people find demons so creepy is the idea that you could look at someone, think they're somebody else, or think they're totally normal, and then the next moment they're doing something supernatural or are dangerous somehow. They should have just looked like monks. They didn't need to have crazy faces or do crazy things beyond just trying to hurt our heroes.
0: Yeah, I think that would have been much creepier if they'd been just regular monks and then all of a sudden it turns out they're already possessed by the demons. Or if, you know, he possessed somebody who's in their group. I think that would have been much creepier. Yeah. But... Yeah, instead we get these, like, ridiculous CGI plague-encrusted monks and the demon who also, as we we start to see eventually, the actual demon who is very stereotypical, you know, horned, winged demon type and is honestly just a little too silly and heavy on the CGI to be that scary. I liked the design,
1: but Mm -hmm. everything looks... because there's no practical effects here, everything looks, like, very fake
0: <laughs> yeah that's true maybe if they'd done practical effects it would have been it would have worked better the demon kills de Belzac he uh I guess what's the word for it uh, snaps his neck while he's in the process of <laughs> um, while he's in the process of reading from the magic book
1: mm-hmm.
0: he also eventually kills Felsen which was a little sad about goodbye yeah. Ron Perlman Felsen, you know, kind of is try. I, I think at some point you kind of thought he killed Felson, and then Felson gets up and grabs him and the demon just sets him on fire and he crumbles to dust. So yeah, there goes Felson. The demon is the only character, I swear to God, who is trying to do an accent in this movie. I don't know what that accent is supposed to be, but it is Help. an accent. <laughs> They're continuing to fight the demon. It turns out that the twelve-year-old altar boy is able to read and read in Latin, so that's convenient. And so he kind of picks up where the priest left where the priest left off and starts reading in Latin to continue the process of exorcising the demon. And Bayman, meanwhile, kind of pins the demon against the wall. I think he like stabs his wings with something. Yeah. Yeah. And so kind of pins him to the wall. Meanwhile, however, the demon does have a lot of claws that he is using to stab him. And so that's not going great. I don't know why he can't do the fire thing that he just did to in a minute before. I think he has to,
1: like, envelop someone in order to do that. And he can't envelop him. So he's just, like, stabbing him. But he can't, like, get yeah. his wings to touch or something. yeah. I don't know if there's actually a reason or just because this is the end of the movie and he has to die soon. (laughs) Right.
0: The demon finally explodes after the kid has finished reading the end of the Latin, but Bayman has been stabbed a number of times and therefore dies. We have lost our heroes. Yep. Rest in peace, Nick Cage. And with the death of the demon, the woman appears naked and very wet for some reason.
1: Gooey.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's kind of gross. <laughs> this is also the moment where I went, wait. Okay, so there's this one woman in this movie. And the entire time, though, it wasn't even her. It was a demon who is implicitly kind of male in her body. So essentially, yep. this movie has zero female characters.
1: Yep, she has <laughs> one scene after this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> where she is herself.
0: Yep. <laughs> so... Yes, after this, uh, everyone is dead except for the woman and the 12-year-old. And uh, we see them burying everybody else. At which point she starts talking about how, you know, it's so sad that they did so much for me. And I never even knew them. Indicating that it really was like she wasn't even there really in mind the entire time. Like she had no idea what was going on. I don't know where she was, but it was not there. And uh, this is also the first point at which we find out what her name is. In the last, like, three minutes of this movie, her name is Anna. Yes, we finally know her name. I have a test that I have instituted on this podcast called the Itch Decker test, where for a movie to pass, there has to be one named female character that doesn't die. <laughs> and I feel like this movie technically passes the letter of the test, but in spirit, yeah. it does not pass. <laughs> wow.
1: That <laughs> is such a small hurdle to... Jump, you'd think.
0: There are a surprising number of movies that do not pass. <laughs> it's like an even lower bar than the Bechdel test, which is yeah. also a quite low bar. Yeah, <laughs> it's
1: like one named woman, and she doesn't have to talk to anyone about anything.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I want one she woman. To I want her. Die. N- yeah, I want her name to be mentioned in the movie, and I want her to survive. And there are a number of movies that do not pass. And I think it is questionable whether this one does on the grounds that she might be named, but is she really a character if she is not really in the movie as herself until the last three minutes?
1: She's more of a vessel.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Um, I'm not sure a female vessel counts for this. It then tells us at the end that the plague passed and life returned to the land And they don't know the darkness that almost was. So apparently by killing this demon, they ended the plague forever and immediately, which must have been so nice for everybody.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Hooray. Hooray. We did it. We did it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I have a lot of thoughts about the historical accuracy or lack thereof in this movie. Which i'll be starting to talk about in the next section vera et falso or true or false there are a couple of things that this movie actually got right the monastic scriptorium where they're copying the book looked more or less right and the very brief shots that we get of the book show that at the bare minimum there are some illuminations that look like they maybe could be 11th or 12th century there's something that looks kind of like a medieval book hand. I don't know, maybe somebody looked at like four medieval books before coming up with this, which, you know, that's honestly a higher bar than I would have guessed for the research in this movie. (laughs) The town that they have at the beginning, Villock, is a real town, although they presumably found that basically by Googling. They have the kind of brief reference visually to the flagellants, the people whipping themselves, and those were a group of people who kind of arose in the context of the Black Death. Uh, It's a kind of penitential movement, with the goal of basically if we have this kind of extreme form of penance, then maybe God will take the Black Death away. The sale of false relics is also a real thing. So I appreciate that they kind of brought up that as a real medieval social phenomenon because we know it certainly that there are way too many breasts of St. Agatha and heads of John the Baptist for (laughs) all of them to be real and very possibly none of them were. And the other thing is that Ultimately, I have some questions about how well it worked, but that at least in a better movie, the idea of presenting the medieval world as one in which people assume that the supernatural and demons and representatives of the devil can have a real impact on how things happen in their world is a quite good way of thinking about how medieval people saw God and the devil and this kind of magical realism, I think, could really work in a good movie. Uh, This might not ultimately have been that movie. But the concept I think was one that could work. There are also some things that I guess I would say there's kind of a little of each. One big thing there is witch persecution. I complained about this a lot. that witch persecution is really an early modern phenomenon rather than a medieval one, and people keep placing it in the context of the Middle Ages because they like to pretend that things got better in the early modern period when instead they arguably got worse. So the heyday of witch persecution is really the 16th and 17th century, and so this kind of big uh, moment of persecution of witches surrounding the Black Death in the 14th century is not the thing that makes the most sense. There, however, was, sort of, a real book called the Clavus Solomonis Regis, which contained various spells that were supposed to summon, control, and purge demons. However, while this would have been a good thing to have on hand to get rid of demons, it does not seem to have been especially something that was targeted at getting rid of witches. It also was obviously very much not composed by Solomon. This is not a book of the Bible. This is something that got composed in the late 14th or sometime in the 15th century, and then passed off as being something that contained the wisdom of Solomon, but is very much a representation of kind of late medieval Renaissance magical traditions.
1: Yeah, when they kept on saying Solomon's book, I'm like, oh, are they transcribing like, proverbs or song of solomon or something (laughs) and then realized oh no they're talking about the magic spell book
0: right yeah my initial reaction was i'm sorry what the fuck is this fake biblical book that they're making up called the book of solomon because while there are (laughs) books authored by solomon or ostensibly authored by solomon in the bible none of them are called the book of solomon right but yes instead it is this magical book which as i said you know good for them somebody clearly did five minutes of research And found out that this is an actual book, although one that was in existence slightly later than this movie is supposed to take place.
1: So when did you say it was supposed to have come out, like in the 1500s or?
0: Like a little earlier, probably the 15th century, although the earliest manuscripts that we have of it, I think are not until the 16th. And this is not my area, but I think based on kind of the language, like the the language and stylistic features that people think it's probably 15th century. So, and there's also a, I think, Greek version that seems to be not an exact translation, but related, and that's 15th century. Okay. That's about it for things this movie got right. (laughs) There are then a lot that it got wrong. So the big one that I want to highlight is, uh, so it begins uh, in at least the version I saw that it said this, that we're now in the age of the Crusades. This term is arguably all but meaningless, but if there was something called the age of the crusades it would aggressively not be the mid 14th century this is because the last crusade to the east uh, or to you know the holy land ended in 1291 after the fall of Tripoli and Acre so you know 40 years before this movie before the main part of this movie starts although crusading did continue elsewhere so in the Iberian peninsula and in eastern Europe and the baltic It never actually says in the movie that Bayman and Felsen are Teutonic Knights, which is a particular order that's associated with crusading in Eastern Europe and the Baltic. But that is what they are identified as, at least in the description of this movie. But if they are Teutonic Knights in the mid 14th century, they would be nowhere near the Middle East. They would be in basically Poland, Estonia and Lithuania. They're kind of hanging around in the wrong place. And then you have the battles themselves. There is something called the Siege of Tripoli, which is dated to 1334. The term Siege of Tripoli most often refers to a battle that's in the early 12th century. And the closest we could possibly get to 1334 is the fall of Tripoli, which is in 1289. The Battle of Imbros I found to be an especially funny one because not only is it not something that takes place in the mid 14th century, it's not even medieval. There is one Battle of Imbros in 1717, and another that is in World War I. <laughs> it's
1: a pretty big gap, both of those. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just kind of wondering where they pulled that particular name from. <laughs> that one seemed especially bizarre. There also was the, they mentioned the Battle of Arta. Again, this is a battle that was fought in the context of the Crusades, but in 1105, not in, I think they, uh, they dated in the late 1330s. There was, however, a Battle of Smyrna in 1344 which was part of a military expedition that was intended to counter Turkish piracy and was blessed as a crusade by the Pope, although very clearly motivated by political as well as purely religious concerns. That one battle at the end, they, there could have been people who thought of themselves as crusaders who were fighting there, just that one. <laughs> I also decided that I wanted to look up exactly what would happen if you deserted from the Crusades, since they start talking about how worried they are that they're going to be hanged or burned for doing so. Crusade deserters often did not even receive a formal punishment at all, but just received a kind of social censure because they would have been considered to have been oath breakers because they made a vow and then did not fulfill it. I specifically then looked up what would happen to members of the Teutonic Order. So if you basically were in the Teutonic Order and fled from the army in the midst of battle, which is arguably what they would do, they they would be punished by being expelled from the order, which is exactly what they wanted, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) So that works out. Yeah, so it was actually, they uh, really shouldn't have been that worried and probably no one would have been really trying to find them except to kind of grab them and then say, you're out, you know, you can never come back. So yes, desertion from the Crusades is a little bit off here. And finally, I am unreasonably angry about the plague masks that the doctors attending the Cardinal are wearing because these are particularly famous masks associated with plague doctors that were not invented until the 17th century. So you've very possibly seen these before. It's the kind of weird masks with the big bird-like beaks. As I said, they are a real thing. They're just a real thing that you would have seen primarily in Italy and France in the 17th century. Yeah,
1: even I, who I don't know much about history, when I saw that, I was like, are they in Italy now
0: and in the future? (laughs) (laughs) Right, that it's very much something that's associated in particular with, uh, with Venice. I think there's a lot of kind of famous yeah. engravings from Venice of uh, these plague doctors wearing these particular masks, but they, would not have been appear- but they would not have been in appearance in the 14th century. That, by the way, leads into the fact that, surprisingly, the Black Death was not just ended forever in 1348 by killing a demon. Oh, man. I know, right? Ugh. Like, you'd think you really should be able to just kill demons and then just end disease. Like, that should be how it works. Sadly, it does not. That leads into the next segment, Historia et Veritas, or History and Truth, where I talk about a real historical event. And for this, I wanted to highlight a couple of things in relation to the Black Death. First of all, the Black Death first appeared in Europe in about 1348. Which, again, I am unreasonably annoyed at the fact that it implies, based on this movie, that it started in 1344, because that seems like something that they could have gotten right just by saying it four years later instead of one month later, and it really right. wouldn't have bothered anybody. <laughs> the Black Death also was not caused by witches, nor did anyone even think it was caused by witches, Some people thought it was caused by some kind of filth in the air. So a lot of people were worried about things like, oh, let's maybe, you know, make sure to throw away our dead animals who are lying around in the streets because that kind of filth in the air is what causes plague, which at the very least, you know, was probably a good idea to get rid of your dead animals lying around in the streets. Sure. Uh,
1: It sounds nicer. I I wouldn't want to be in a street with a lot of dead animals in it, personally. Right,
0: yeah. Or, you know, things like, uh, actually, let's, like, kick out the, you know, butchers because they're bringing plague into the city by leaving out the animal carcasses too long. There were also people who were concerned that the plague was a punishment from God sent because of their own sins. So, uh, you know, they did things like maybe complain about how the women are dressing too nicely or how, you know, maybe we shouldn't be tolerating all of these prostitutes that we're really into. Or alternatively, the big group that then got blamed for the onset of the plague was not witches, but the Jews. Jews who are aggressively not in this movie, with the exception of Ron Perlman, (laughs) were blamed by a number of people for the plague. There were two different kind of big versions of this. One is that the Jews were actively causing the plague by poisoning the wells. The other is that the Jews were not themselves doing anything to cause the plague, but that the plague was a punishment from God for being too nice to the Jews. And as a result of that, there were a couple of massacres of Jews in 1348 in a couple of places, including places that are now Germany, to basically, oh, well, if we kill the Jews, they'll either stop bringing the plague upon us, slash God will see that we have killed the Jews, and he'll be thrilled because we were being so nice to them before they, they weren't. And that was a big problem. <laughs> the witches here are this kind of odd stand-in for the actual persecution of Jews in the context of the plague. The other thing, of course, about the plague is that not only did it not miraculously end by conveniently killing a demon off in 1348, it eventually kind of dissipated but kept coming back. And so there are periodic plague epidemics throughout Europe all the way through the 17th century. And I think you can technically still get the plague today. I think it is now curable, but, you know, it did not entirely go away or, you know, and it certainly was not eradicated conveniently in 1348. Uh, As I said, it kind of keeps coming back and uh, keeps the population levels uh, to a kind of relatively low level until about the kind of late 16th century or so. (laughs) if only they just found that demon so i like to think that the eternal darkness that the world was to be plunged into if they did not kill the demon was actually just the renaissance (laughs) because i'm a medievalist so i think the renaissance is overrated and actually everything was either as bad as the middle ages if not worse with that this is certainly a movie that I ultimately had some issues with. In our next section, Fabula Nostra, um, or Our Story, we talk about what kind of alternative movie we might come up with. So, Megan, what would you have liked to see out of this movie that was not actually the movie that we saw? I think it would have been cool if instead of the
1: Crusades, they're just a group of holy men with this book, and they go town to town beating up demons, and they chant some Latin, but they're also like slicing heads off left and right. I think that would have been more fun. (laughs) That definitely would have been way more fun.
0: There's no need to have the
1: Crusades in this at all, actually. (laughs) It doesn't really factor into it.
0: That's true. It actually would have made a lot more sense to not have the Crusades (laughs) because nobody's crusading. (laughs) Would you have still cast Nick Cage?
1: I guess it wouldn't have mattered in that case because it wouldn't have been like, oh, he needs to definitely be older or younger. It would just been like some people wanted to go out demon killing. (laughs) And he was like, yeah, "Yeah, I'll do that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, he could be a kind of nice middle-aged monk. Sure. Shave the middle of his
1: head. Don't give him blonde hair. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) Movie fixed.
0: (laughs) Maybe make him just a little less (laughs) grizzled. Yeah. What about you? What did you think? I would like to set this movie in the early modern period, mostly because uh, that is my kind of big uh, hill that I will die on, is that people need to stop pretending that witch persecution was a hugely medieval thing and acknowledge that it's actually an early modern thing. Mm -hmm. So... I would like to set this in 16th century Germany and uh, I actually also I really did enjoy the demon aspect but I also kind of wanted there to be an actual female character so uh, my alternative version would have uh, a woman who is a witch but who it turns out she's actually not an evil witch so that she's actually healing people and doing other kind of generally good things but is accused as part of a kind of witch craze of being a witch and consorting with the devil and harming people. And especially given the kind of emphasis in this movie on faith and the loss of faith, I thought it would be fun to have a priest who I would have be played by Ewan McGregor. And uh, he has basically spent his life supporting efforts to root out the Protestants and the Jews and then the witches but then has his faith shaken when he realizes that a witch who I would have be played by Aubrey Plaza is actually doing good overall and that imprisoning her is actually making various people's illnesses worse because they no longer have her to help them. I think that would be fun. I'd also like to stick with the fact that the relationship is not actually going to be a romantic one because that was one of the things that I appreciated about this movie is that no one's trying to sleep with this poor woman who's in a cage.
1: Yeah, it was weird because there were some moments where she's trying to trick them I guess and saying that the priest like touches her inappropriately and I was like I could have lived without that
0: (laughs) yeah it was also very vague that she it seemed like she was implying that he had raped her but she didn't quite go out and say that so I was just trying to I was trying to figure out the whole time is is that definitely what she's referring to or is she just indicating that he tortured her quite brutally
1: yeah they're vague and I thought oh there's gonna be like a story later about how they actually had a romance like an affair and then when it went sour he called her a witch and that's what this whole thing's about and then like that never
0: happened and I was like oh never mind <laughs> right and it then also seemed very weird to me that this priest who implicitly has because he doesn't deny that anything she's saying is true and so it seems pretty clear that he did at the very least torture her if not also rape her and he thought she was a witch, but I mean, he didn't know the whole thing about her being a demon. And so then it raises a lot of questions about, okay, wait, so we had this dude who, at the very least, brutally tortured a woman and maybe also raped her, and now he's supposed to just be redeemed at the end, and we're going to think all that's chill?
1: Yeah, because you'd think he'd... I mean, he is saying, like, oh, she's just trying to get a rise out of you and trying to, like, tear us apart. But he never actually says, I never did those things.
0: And he probably did torture her, at least. I yeah. mean... In the context, there's every reason to think that, especially because we know that she confessed.
1: Right. So usually in order to get a confession, you know, there was some torture going on.
0: Yeah. So yeah, bare minimum, it is unlikely that he did not torture her. And he never really denies that he tortured her. But as I said, then we're just supposed to be like, yeah, no, I mean, it's okay, because he was really right the whole time.
1: (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) I don't know how we're supposed to feel about anybody. I guess everyone's like, an okay person except for the demon who's bad incarnate. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Which I'm not sure is ultimately the message I would get from this movie and from this particular group of people.
1: Yeah, it's like humans don't really have agency in this story because it's like, you know, there's the will of God and there's the will of demons and what you gonna do?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah, so the humans don't really have agency and... Also, the fact that it's then this evil demon then makes it also that essentially the kind of differentiations and shades of gray and good and evil between humans are basically irrelevant as long as they're trying to defeat this one demon.
1: Yeah, basically. It's
0: kind of a weird choice. <laughs> and not a choice that I would make if I was making this movie.
1: <laughs>
0: so let's move on to the next section, Estimatio, or Rating, where we... Say what we ultimately thought about this movie so what rating would you give to this movie i guess
1: it's out of five right yeah i guess like two and a half like i really do like when we go really crazy and we're just chopping heads off of monks <laughs> and saying <laughs> we're gonna need more holy water like that is more fun in that one i don't know 20 minute segment at the very end than is had in the rest of the movie And I don't know why they wanted to be so serious in a movie that ostensibly is about, like, witches and demons in a way that... Right. I don't know. It, It like, wanted to be very serious drama about, like, don't just do what people tell you to, but also, like is ultimately do what they tell you to because it's probably demons anyways (laughs) so it kind of like undoes its message halfway through anyways so i can't say it's good and i didn't think it really made sense to have your action heroes be ron perlman and nick cage at their ages but um i did have fun at the end so I'll, i'll give it two and a half
0: this movie had definitely some amount of moments where it really worked for me as a kind of good bad movie but ultimately, it kind of lost me in a couple of ways. I remain just irritated throughout about the Crusades and the fact that there was really no reason that this movie had to have in it as the background, both the Crusades and the Black Death, things that took place a decent amount of time away from each other. And if they yeah. just not done that, then I think it would have helped just immeasurably with the historical accuracy. <laughs> It didn't even have to be the plague. It could have just been any
1: sickness, really. They didn't have to m- make it seem like the Black Death. They could have just had any sort of sickness, really.
0: Yeah, if it was a miscellaneous sickness, then actually they could have made the argument that they killed a demon and then it ended forever. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that actually would have worked better. Yes, they could have said it earlier and had them start off as crusaders and then do something else. Or they could have just had them come from, I don't know, some other war and be in an army and then end up in this whole situation with the plague. Or they could have been Teutonic Knights actually being where the Teutonic Knights were supposed to be. Right. <laughs> you know, they could have they could have had any number of ways for this to be not just ridiculously inaccurate and they did not choose them. And then I guess my other big issue with this movie was the fact that they ultimately ended up making it such that there was not a female character at all in the entire movie. <laughs> until the last three minutes. (laughs) And I'm really annoyed about that. Ultimately, I am going to give this on the basis of uh, both a combination of historical inaccuracies and gender-related issues. I'm gonna give it a one, but I wouldn't necessarily say don't watch it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the case with other movies that I've given a one where I just straight up said, no, don't watch this movie, it's not worth your time. But this I would say, you know, if you're really bored, this could be worth watching.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's on Netflix. It's free. If you're homesick, go ahead and watch it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So with that, uh, uh, you know, just really strong recommendation. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for listening to us uh, talk about uh, the delightful ish movie season of the witch today on media evil. So Megan, where can our listeners find you on the internet? So
1: I watch made for TV, TV movies and then I talk about them. And I do that on my podcast, Not Another Bad Movie Podcast. So whatever you're using to listen to this is probably a good place to try looking for my podcast. All the usual podcasting uh, apps and Apple Podcasts have it. And barring that, you can go to the website, Not Another notanotherbadmoviepodcast.libsyn.com. And follow us on Twitter at nabmpodcast. And yeah, I think that's all the info.
0: Great. I highly recommend it. I've been on a couple of times and those are great episodes uh, that you could listen to if you are and are fans of this podcast, but also any other episodes because they're all great and you've watched some amazingly terrible movies.
1: <laughs> Thanks. I have watched amazingly terrible movies. That's true. <laughs> Which is maybe why I'm so soft on this one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. You've, you've definitely seen worse movies. Than oh, this. yes. <laughs> If you've enjoyed this podcast and have not done so already, please subscribe in your preferred podcatcher app. And I'd really appreciate it if you could just take a few minutes to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And in future episodes, I will be starting to read five-star reviews. So if you want to make a virtual appearance on Media Evil, that's how to do it. If you have any questions, I'd love to hear from you via email at media.evilpod at gmail.com. That's media.evalpod at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at MediaEvilPod and join the MediaEvil Facebook group. And you can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sarah Ifdecker. Thank you for listening to Media Evil. Bye. Bye.